Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, how is everyone? Good, my name's Chase, I'm one of the pastors here. We are wrapping up our series, What to Do When God Says. And this week we are talking about what do we do when God says go. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be hitting the highlights of chapter 1 and 2. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. If you have to use your table of contents, I do all the time. Don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the side screens. But as you're turning there, I want to take a moment and just welcome all of those of you that are joining us for the very first time. We have hundreds of folks just like you, whether it's online or at one of our campuses. And I want to specially welcome those of you who would not proclaim to be Christ followers. We have the amazing privilege of hosting folks just like you online and on all of our campuses every single weekend. Uh, Maybe you're just kicking the tires of Christianity, kind of checking out this whole God and church thing. Uh, Maybe someone invited you and you were just too polite to say no. I get that. Maybe you're watching online and it was Saturday afternoon and you ran out of beer like an hour ago and you knew your neighbor had some and one thing led to another and now you're on a couch looking at me on the screen. Hey, how's it going? In my opinion, the best tasting beer is free beer. So you're not rude. You're just a man or woman of taste. But I want to say that we're glad you're here. You're kind of our guest of honor. Uh, You're the reason that we do a lot of what we do here. So we strive to create a really safe environment where you can get a lot of your questions about Jesus and the church answered, as well as make a few friends along the way. Uh, Occasionally at Hope, we do what we call a family talk. And it's where, you know, you have people in and out of your house all the time, all these activities and stuff. But occasionally, you just got to get the family members around the kitchen table and talk specifically to them. Uh, Sometimes we come to a place in scriptures that talks specifically to Christ followers, just to Christians. And so that's what this weekend is. That's not every weekend. In fact, that's not most weekends. In two weeks, I'm going to be talking specifically to you, to those of you that would not consider yourself Christ followers. But that's what this weekend is. You're kind of a fly on the wall uh, during a conversation between a Christ follower with other Christ followers. But I would say that this weekend is still gonna be beneficial for you. If you ever wanted to know what the Christian life looks like after that moment of salvation, you're gonna have a good idea after that. And also, if you ever wanna begin a relationship with God, then you're gonna be started off on a, on a better foot than I was all those years ago. So sit back on the couch, enjoy that beer, invite me next time, and hopefully you have some stuff to think about afterwards. But we are talking about what do we do when God says go this weekend. That's the question we're tackling. And that can be a really tricky question to answer if we don't start in the right place. And here's what I mean. If you're watching online or at one of our campuses and you heard the topic for today, a lot of you guys leaned in. You were excited. I got text messages. I got Facebook messages. You were really excited and intrigued. And you thought, this is something that I really need to hear because I'm facing a potential move. I'm facing a potential career change. My wife and I want more kids. I'm trying to figure out if this dude is my future husband. 
I'm thinking of switching majors or maybe even switching colleges. There's these decisions that I have to make right now that will affect the overall trajectory of my life, important decisions that keep me up at night, and I am super excited that Chase is gonna tell me the exact decision that I need to make. And I got messages like that. I hate to disappoint you. I am not gonna do that exactly, but I get why you would think that. What do I do when God says go is really a question about what God's will for our life is. And that's something that we are just naturally super, super interested in, God's will or God's plan for our lives. Most of us have been trying to figure that out since we can remember. But I think that most of the time we try to answer that question, what's God's plan for my life, we start in the wrong place. We start with me. We ask questions like, what school is right for me? What spouse is right for me? What career path is right for me? When I look at the person I am and all of my talents and my skills and my desires and my passions, which plan is right for me? That's why we love things like personality tests. You guys ever heard of the Myers-Briggs? Raise your hand. What about the DISC profile? You heard of that? Strengths Finder, anyone? Enneagram, you guys heard that? Yeah, a few of you know of Enneagram. We eat that stuff up because it's all about us. And I think those things can be helpful, but, but we spend a lot of time, if I hear one more thing about the Enneagram, I am going to go crazy. Like, you put mustard on a hot dog, that's such a two thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? You like hats instead of dogs, you're such a four. You pee sitting down, you're such a seven. That's a real conversation I had. And I'm not, I live in, I'm not, I live in a house full of girls, okay? So, I just think sometimes it would be nice to not have to put the seat up or get yelled at for putting it down. You don't have to aim, it's a win-win. I'm not saying I do it, I'm just saying. <laughs> you sleep on your side, that's such a two thing. If you don't know what the Enneagram, I don't know what that voice was. If you don't know what the Enneagram is, then I wanna meet you because I, I need new friends. But we love to study and learn about ourselves. And because of that, when it comes to figuring out God's will for our lives, that's where we tend to start. We start with me. But what we see in the Bible is that's a bad place to start. That's a bad place to start to figure out what God's will for your life is. Should I move? Should I change careers? Should I switch majors? Those are questions that you need to answer, but they're not the questions that you should start with. You see, we start with me, but the Bible says that we should start with God. Uh, Christopher Wright, a very wise author, he said this, we ask, where does God fit into the story of my life? When the real question should be, where does my little life fit into the great story of God? You see, here's what you need to understand. Your life is just a small part of a much bigger story. And when you understand God's big story, those decisions will become a little bit easier to make. Discerning God's will won't really keep you up at night. Finding out if God is saying go is kind of easy. Once you know God's story, your story kind of falls into place. And here's the cool thing. God has given us 66 books that we call the Bible that clearly lay out what his story and what his purpose and what his will for your life is. You know, we talk about finding the will of God, but it's not really lost. And maybe you've never heard that. Maybe you've never thought about it this way, but God has been working on this incredible detailed and intricate kind of rescue plan for the past few thousand years. And maybe you don't know this either, but we are living in the last chapter of that amazing story. We are living in the last act of God's grand drama. And when you realize that and what that last chapter is all about, God's will for your life becomes much clearer. 
And that brings us to the book of Acts. Acts records the beginning of the final chapter in this story that God has been telling a thousand years. See, Acts picks up where the story of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, end with Jesus's death and resurrection. And so when Acts starts in chapter one, basically the resurrected Jesus have been hanging out with his followers for the past about three, three and a half weeks. And you have to understand that this is a very confusing time for the small amount of Jesus followers that are with Jesus. They've been waiting on a Messiah for hundreds of years. And this savior, this Messiah that the Old Testament had told them would come. And they're pretty sure that this Jesus is the promised Messiah. I mean, he died and he came back to life. That's kind of a tip off. But they had no idea what the game plan was from there on out. Jesus had given them some hints. We don't have time to go into all that, but it it seemed like the Holy Spirit had something to do with it. He was talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. The disciples didn't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit, maybe a little bit more than your average Presbyterian, but not much. But they had noticed uh, that Jesus had talked about him an awful lot. So when we pick up the story, they've just been hanging out with Jesus for a few weeks, waiting on him uh, to kind of clue them in on what the next uh, step in the game plan was. And then abruptly, Jesus just up and leaves. Read with me in Acts chapter one, verse four, it says this. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And the disciples were like, okay, here's the Holy Spirit thing again, we're gonna do what you say. That seemed to work out for us in the past, but we have no idea what you're talking about. Like baptism of the Holy Spirit, that seems a little bit spooky. And what in the world does this have to do with the game plan? Like you're talking about us, we're wondering what your next step is. How are you gonna do this whole world-saving thing that you've been talking about? And they actually get bold and just point blank ask him. And their question reveals what they think this last chapter would be like. Look at Acts 1 verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now let me pause for a second. Because was anyone a Jew in first century Roman world? No, probably not. So let me explain some things. Uh, These Jewish people, the followers of Jesus, they knew God's story from front to back. They had been taught from birth all that God had done the past few thousand years. How he created the universe and created human beings to be in a relationship with them. They had learned about that day that everything went wrong when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and let sin into the world. And they learned how that sin had ripped apart that relationship that they were created for with the Father. And also, that sin is why they experienced things like disease and death and war and natural disasters. And they had had that promise from Genesis 3.15 just taught to them over and over again, how God had promised one day somehow to make things right once more. And they had learned from their forefathers uh, that that their forefathers had watched God patiently take step after step in this mysterious plan to fix what was broken. And that's basically all the Old Testament is. It's the Jewish people, the Israelites, coming to a greater understanding of how holy and powerful and good and pure God is and how deeply broken and stuck and sinful humankind was. And you get to the end of the Old Testament, and it's really a story without an end, but it's where the Jewish people just have this deep realization. Like if there's ever a hope that things are gonna be made right once more, It can't depend on us. There's no way that we can uh, get out of the mess that we have made. 
They couldn't pull themselves up by their bootstrap. They realized that they needed an outside power, not just to forgive them of their sins and make a relationship with God possible, but also an outside power to fix all that was broken in the world. And the Jewish people had pinned all of their hopes on this Messiah, this king unlike any other king that Israel had ever had, a king that would make a way back to God and make things right once more. And they pinned all of their hopes on this king, this Messiah, because God had promised one day a Messiah's gonna come. And so they had realized that that Messiah had come. That was Jesus. They realized that part, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, people can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. But, but how would people hear about this news and take advantage of it outside of Jerusalem. They didn't know. And how was all this war and disease and oppression gonna be stopped? They didn't understand that part. And so now this question makes sense. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what they thought the last chapter would be. Jesus, is this the game plan? Are you gonna set up a kingdom here in Jerusalem and through your earthly rule and reign, bring salvation to all people and, and, and fix what is broken? And we can see in the way that Jesus answers them that yes, this is the last chapter, but it's gonna look radically different than they thought. See, they're all looking at him, but he turns all of the attention back onto them. Look at what he says in Acts 1-7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Don't worry what I'm up, what I'm up to. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So he's just talking, just stops and starts floating up in a cloud. And they're like, there goes our Messiah again. He just died like three weeks ago. And now he says he's gonna work remotely and like put us in charge. Peter, did he say the whole world? Like, Jesus, you don't know how big the whole world is. And Jesus is like, yeah, I do, I can see it from up here. You don't know how big the whole world is. Wait till you hear about Australia, right? And he leaves. The main character in God's story leaves during the most important part. And the disciples have no idea what to do. And say they do what we, you and I would do if we don't know the next step. They just start praying, so they go to Jerusalem. And they're in this upper room. And God, in typical fashion, just keeps rolling with the plan. He's like, all right, ready or not, last chapter, here we go. And he drops the disciples into the deep end and leaves it up to them and to us to figure out what this last chapter is like. But this is how it starts. Look at Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, just a Jewish celebration, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them. Now, I don't have time to go into it, but in the Old Testament, wind, fire, big deal, it's kind of the chapter division, so a new chapter starting here. So fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's the first thing they do the moment after they receive them? They begin to witness to what Jesus did and who he was. They began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven come to celebrate Pentecost. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. 
So you can imagine they're coming in for the feast and all these Jesus followers are sticking their head out the window of this upper room and proclaiming and testifying to Jesus in these rare languages. And so all these people are seeing these untrained men just testify eloquently to this savior. And a lot of them are like, man, these dudes are drunk. Like it's the morning, but they're kind of crazy. And some people are like, no, 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 no. I understand what they're saying. Can someone tell me what's going on? So then Peter, Peter, the guy with the foot-shaped mouth, the guy that can't say anything without getting into trouble, he sticks his, out, his head out the window and he delivers one of the most eloquent, powerful, and moving sermons that we have recorded in the New Testament. And he stands up and basically says, hey, we're not drunk. It's 9.30. We usually start at 11, 10.30 on the weekend, so it is way too early for that. But let me tell you about this Jesus that they're proclaiming. And he goes on to explain that this Jesus that the Jewish people killed a few weeks ago was actually the Savior. Whoops, but it's okay. Because through his death and his resurrection, their sins can be forgiven, and they can have a relationship with God. And not only that, but apparently, they can receive the Holy Spirit too. And at the end of this sermon, the whole crowd's like, that sounds great, sign me up for that. And so in Acts 2.41, it says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine baptizing 3,000 people in one day? And not only did salvations occur, but no, this is, this is the same crowd that just a week or two ago was yelling out, crucify him. Look at the transformation that takes place. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day by day those who were being saved. And the last chapter of God's great story starts right here. And here's what they realized. Day after day and week after week and month after month, they found themselves doing the very same things that Jesus did while he was on earth. The sick were healed, the blind were given sight, the poor were taken care of and provided for, families were reunited, lives were dramatically transformed before their very eyes. And I'm sure some of the stuff that Jesus had said while he was on earth just starts clicking. Like when he said in John, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater than these things because I am going to the Father and I'm gonna send the Spirit. And that's exactly what they saw. And I think probably a month, maybe three months, maybe six months into it, they just sort of looked around and was like, I don't know if this is blasphemous or not, but it's almost like Jesus never really left. And God's like, ding, ding, ding. And that's what I want you to see today. Jesus is gone. He's up in heaven, but during this final chapter, during this last act in God's grand drama, his presence is alive and well inside his people. And God still has the exact same goal, the same passion, the same desire to see men, women, and children from every tribe, nation, and tongue, from every socioeconomic level, from every single side of the tracks come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and watch their lives be transformed. And he wants to use you and he wants to use me to see that happen. See, God's plan was never to have a Messiah 
in one geographical location at one time in history. His plan was always to fill and empower every single believer and send them out to change their families and then their workplaces and then their neighborhoods and eventually their world. That's the last chapter. That's what God is up to. So if you wanna know what God's will for your life is, it has a lot, if not everything to do with that. And this is where we come back to that question. What do I do when God says go? And this seems like a cop out, I know. Seems like a Jesus juke, it's not. This is what the Bible says. What do you do when God says go? God's already said go. Now get to it. If you've received the spirit, you've received a call to go. That's what the church is. It's the people of God filled with the spirit of God, sent on the mission of God, nothing more and nothing less. And I know you've heard this a thousand times. I'm gonna say that every chance that I get, the church is not a building. It's not a place that we show up to once a week to hear some music and some good teaching. The, the church is a community of transformed people to which God has said to every single individual, go. Isn't that amazing? The hard work has already been done by Jesus. The power of death and sin has been defeated. All we're waiting on is for Jesus to come back, create a new heavens and a new earth, and finally do away with all that brokenness. But right now, God is patiently waiting. He's waiting for more and more people to hear and respond to the gospel and see their lives miraculously transformed. And you and I, we don't just get a front row seat during the most exciting time in human history. We get a position on the field. We get a jersey with our name on the back of it. We get to get off the bleachers and onto the field. If that don't get you going, your goer's broke. Okay, I get excited about this stuff. But let me slow down a little bit. I know we just did baptisms like two weeks ago, so I know we have some really, really new believers watching online or at some of our campuses, and you're thinking, this is not the Bible study and stuff that I signed up for. Like, if this is what Jesus really said, then what, what am I supposed to do? Like, does Samaria exist? Can I get a plane ticket and go witness there? What does witness even mean? Do I need to go to school? Do I need to get some training? Basically, the questions in your head right now are, are where do I start? You wanna hear the coolest answer? It's gonna knock your socks off right where you are. That's where you start. You don't need school, ever. Sorry if you're in seminary. You don't need training right now. You don't need to pick up and move overseas right now, although I'm praying that that happens in somebody's heart this weekend. But see, God already knows exactly how he wants to use you to make the biggest impact in his kingdom possible. And whether you know it or not, he's already strategically placed you exactly where he wants you. It is no accident that you live where you live. It's no accident that you work where you work. It's no accident that you have the classes that you have. It's no accident that you go to the same coffee shop every single morning or stand beside the same parents on the soccer field or the football field. God has sovereignly placed you exactly where you are. He has sent you to that exact geographical place and to those individual people so that you can live out your calling, so you can play your part in this story, so that you can share the love that God has for those people and be a part of them starting a relationship with him. And it is so important that we grasp this or remember this truth. Because I don't know if you guys know it or not, but it's gotten dark out there, has it not? Like if I shared with you the statistics of student or the teen suicide rate, 
or if I shared with you what our middle school pastors or high school pastors work through on a weekly basis or some of the conversations that the staff members or pastors have here, it will break your heart. Yeah, there's a pandemic, there's political divisiveness, there's joblessness, there's, there's racial tensions, there's financial insecurity, but underneath all of that, kind of the, the product of all that is there's just loneliness. There's hopelessness, there's sadness, there's anxiety, there's fear. And we know what the only hope is. What is it? It's the gospel. It's the hope that we have in Jesus. How are people gonna hear about that? You and me. That's God's plan right now. And this is where you guys come in, hope. And I want you to hear this, this is from the heart. When God called me and my family to go, in 2014 to go start a church, we clearly heard that go. But we didn't have a clear direction. We didn't know where God was calling us. We honestly just picked Asheville out of a hat because it's cool <laughs> uh, and it's really, really hard and we like a challenge. It's like the dumbest place to start a church. So we said, oh, we'll go there. And so we did what God had called us to and we heard the call to go again in 2018 where God said, hey, you've done what I've asked you to do. It's time to move on. We had no doubt where God was calling us to go. It was back here to hope. You know why? I don't think I've ever shared this. My family came back here not because of the opportunity to lead, not because of the salary, and not because of the budget or the buildings. It was because of you guys. You guys are unlike any other congregation that my wife and I have ever had the privilege of serving. Don't get all prideful. Half y'all are crazy, okay? The other half are really crazy. But you're awesome, all right? We tried for five whole years to somehow create in our congregation in Asheville just a fraction of the love that you guys have for those that are far from God. Just a fraction of the generosity that you have. Just a fraction of the servant's heart and the willingness that you have. This is one of the only places, this is the only place on earth that I know I can bring anyone that I meet into this community and know beyond a shadow of a doubt they will be loved like they've never been loved before and they will be shown clearly the character of the Jesus that died for them. So yeah, did God use Mike the past 27 years? Absolutely, and I will never downplay that. But he is not the one who individually connected with and walked alongside the tens of thousands of people that call this crazy place home. That's you guys. And I've always just had this thought that if ever a huge movement of God were to begin again, like we see in Acts chapter one or the first and second great awakening, just these amazing movements that we read about in church history, I've always thought if that was gonna happen again, it's gotta happen at a place that really loves people that don't know Jesus. It's gotta happen in a place where the people are just so willing to step up and give and serve. It's gonna happen in a place where people are just excited and expectant about what God can do in them and through them. If there's ever gonna be a huge movement of God again, I think it could very easily start in a place just like hope. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, I think reach the triangle, that's our vision, that's just the tip of the iceberg for a place like this. You know, we touched a pulse of our community when we started the VLC. If you don't know what the VLC was, uh, when schools shut down, we knew that single parents had a hard decision to make 
They had to decide whether to work and put food on the table or stay at home and make sure their kids um, could learn. And so we said, we don't want them to make that decision. So we turned all of our physical campuses into learning centers where single parents and other parents could drop their children off and we would love them and care for them, make sure they got their education, their parents could go to work and they wouldn't have to have that stress. Well, we, we hit a nerve in our city when we did that. Just amazing stories that I could share with you. And, and as usual, it was completely by accident, but God showed up in a big way. And we don't know exactly what that means for the future, but we do know that God is calling us to continue to take steps in that direction. That vision for the Hope Center that you keep hearing about was kind of birthed out of that. And God is just stirring something in the hearts of our elders and our leaders and our staff members in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. And I've been here for a while. So I don't know what the future holds. Is it more campuses? Yeah, I think so. Is it one or two or 10 Hope Centers? I think so. Is it partnering with other churches in our city, in our state, in our world to see the gospel made available to every man, woman, and child? Yeah, I think that's it. It's all of that and more. But if we're gonna be able to, as a church, as a family, step into that and whatever else God has for us, it's gonna take every single one of us clearly hearing that call to go and being willing to just raise our hands and say, I'll go. God, I'll go. Saying yes to God's call, even if we don't understand the details or know what that looks like in the future. And that's gonna look different in every single one of our lives. It may mean using your skills and your talents to make our online church service, uh, our online venue better. It might mean uh, serving at one of our uh, physical campuses for the first time. It might mean going and helping start a new campus when that time comes. It might mean using your business know-how and your connections and your money to help get our first Hope Center off the, off the ground. It might mean packing up all your belongings and going to Uganda or to Haiti to partner with what God's doing at one of our global partners. I pray that God, that God moves that in someone's heart this weekend. It definitely means getting to know and love your neighbors and your coworkers that you're around right now. But whatever that looks like individually and whatever that looks like as a church, it has to start with a few thousand people raising their hand and saying, God, you have said go. And I don't know what that looks like and I don't know where that is and I don't know how you're gonna accomplish what you wanna accomplish through us, but I do know that you have all of that figured out. And so I'm just gonna say yes, just a blank yes, here I am, send me. Listen, in the Bible we clearly see God knows the how. He knows the what, he's looking for the who. He's looking for people that just volunteer and say, I am available, here I am, send me. I love a story that one of my pastor friends tells. I don't know if it really happened, probably didn't, but it's a story of an old Baptist pastor who used to get up and preach every Sunday and eventually this guy started hanging out at church and he was a little rough around the edges and you know Baptist pastors stand at the front door and shake the hands of the old ladies as they leave. And so he would do that and this new guy would get in line every single week. And the first week he did that, he looked at that pastor and said, pastor, the answer's yes. Now what's the question? And the pastor was like, I don't know. Hope you have a good week, buddy, and sent him along. But the next week he gets back in line and says, pastor, the answer's yes. Now what's the question? So finally the third week the pastor says, hey, can we just go out to coffee so I can figure out what in the world you're talking about? And so they go out to coffee and he's like, what's the deal with this whole yes, what's the, what's the question thing? And he says, you don't know this, but for most of my life I was an alcoholic and I was addicted to gambling. And I had lost my job, and I had lost my family, and I was this close to losing it all. Until one day, one person that went to your church befriended me, and he brought me to church, and I heard you get up in that pulpit and talk about this Jesus that could somehow love a person like me, 
that could somehow use a person like me. And when I heard that, I started a relationship with him and my life has been transformed. And so because of, because of the change that Jesus has made in my life and because of what this church means to me in my life, you just ask the question and the answer is yes. You want me to mow the grass? The answer is yes. You wanna ask me to drive an elderly lady to come to church here on Sundays? The answer is yes. Whatever you ask, the answer is yes. That's the sort of heart that God can use. I love how one person put it. They said, put your yes on the table, put your yes on the board, and let God put it on the map. And I was so convicted when I was preparing for this message. There was a time in my life, in my wife's life, where this was front and center. We saw a neighbor in Apex come to know Jesus. Uh, we saw one in Durham come to know Jesus years later. We saw seeds planted. In Asheville, every single Thursday afternoon, I would walk the streets of downtown and just get into these gospel conversations. But I don't know what it is ever since we planted the church and kind of moved back and life got busy, that yes sort of found its way off the table and onto the floor. And it, it wasn't a priority the past few months or years. And so I just had to pray to God like, God, can I take that yes up off the floor and kind of dust it off and put it back, back on the table? And it was this cool time that I had with God and I thought, man, why don't we do that as a church? For the first time, let's put our yes on the board or maybe recommit to putting our yes on the board and letting God put it on the map. So here's what we're gonna do. If you're watching at one of our campuses or live in this room right now, as you leave after this last song, the usher's gonna give you a little sticky note and a pen. And if you're on board for this, if you wanna be a part of what God's doing in the triangle and around the world, I'm gonna ask you in big capital letters, just write yes, and then sign your first name. And then the usher's gonna show you this eight foot board that we have out there that we're just gonna collect these sticky notes. And if you're watching online, you're gonna get a chance to do this as well. There's a digital sticky note that we're gonna send you to. If you're watching at gethope.tv, that's gonna show up in the chat. If you're watching on Facebook, it's gonna show up there. Um, if you're not, you can go to gethope.net slash go, and you're gonna see a virtual sticky note. And all you have to do is sign your name. And when you click enter, you're gonna put your yes on a digital board. And those of us at our campuses, when we put our yes on the board, there's gonna be TVs beside it. You're gonna see some of these digital yeses come in. And here's my hope. My hope is that as you look back at church history, the first step in every great movement is never a strategy. And it's never a plan and it's never a fully formed idea. The first step in every great movement of God is people simply making themselves available, just raising their hands, and then God takes it from there. And I think, I hope, I pray that months or years from now, we can look back to this weekend as a church and say, man, God took us seriously. <laughs> God took those yeses and did something that we could never have planned or strategized or even dreamed or imagined but it's gotta start with you. It starts with one person saying yes to God's call to go, and then God can take it from there. Let's pray, Father. What a humbling privilege and honor it is to be called into your service. And so God, we just confess and repent that we worry about a thousand other things. God, I pray that the burden of the lostness, of the darkness, that there are men and women in our city that do not know that you love them and died for them. May that just, may that be a burden on our heart. Can we own that for our neighborhoods and our families and our world? 
And so, Father, as individuals, as a group, we just say a big yes to your call to go. God, send us into the hard places that no one wants to go, to the people that no one wants to talk to, Father. Send us where no one else is willing to go, to shed your light and to spread your love. And this is not for the name of Hope Community Church. May the name of Hope Community Church fall to the ground and be forgotten forever. This is for the name and the glory and the renown of Jesus Christ. Would you do this in the name of your son? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. 